Well, good evening, everybody. Good evening. If you would, open up your Bible to the book of Psalms, to Psalm chapter 9. Psalm 9 is where we're going to begin momentarily, and we will be in the Bible, just a whole bunch, just a lot of different places in the uh, Old and New Testament this evening. So let's get those Bibles cranking to Psalm chapter 9 as we get ready to work together in the Word of God. It is just a pleasure and a delight to be able to uh, think about... Scripture and about God's things for a, a second uh, dedicated time here uh, on Sunday once again. I trust that you've had uh, a good afternoon, maybe got some rest or got to get outside and enjoy the day. It's been a beautiful day that the Lord has given us for uh, the middle of July and I'm glad to have the opportunity once again to, uh, to spend some time with you in the Word. And so let's get to reading in the Word. In Psalm chapter 9, I'm reading here in verse number 10. In Psalm 9 and in verse 10... The Bible tells us in Psalm 9 and verse 10, this is David, it's credited as a psalm of David. It says, And those who know your name put their trust in you. For you, O Lord, have not forsaken those who seek you. Let me just begin this evening with a question. What is my name? Me. The red-headed guy standing up here talking to you right now. What is my name? Now what many of you are probably thinking is, well, duh, it's Josh. You're Josh. You're the preacher here. We know who you are. But you need to know that that's actually not my only name. Depending on who you ask, I actually have a number of different names. For example, to some of our young people here and to young people when I go visit and preach in other places, I become very quickly Mr. Josh. And that takes some getting used to. I'm nearing 40, so I guess that I ought, to, I ought to get used to it by now. To my nieces and my nephews, especially the younger ones, I'm Uncle Dosh. That's my name. Uh, when I was a kid and whenever I was on the cusp of getting in trouble, my name very sternly was Joshua Keith McKibben. And if my parents were struggling on that particular day, sometimes my name was Aaron, not Luke, not Ben, Josh, get over here. That was my name. Uh... To my grandparents, very affectionately, my name was Joshi. I loved hearing my grandparents call me Joshi. In third grade, the kids on the school bus, I was new in town, and the kids on the school bus called me the red-headed dude with the purple shoes. I wore purple Chuck Taylors, and that's what they called me. When I was a teenager, some of you know that my buddies and I, we had our own backyard wrestling federation, and my name was The Big Easy. In college, I actually adopted a pseudonym, an alias for myself, Chip Whitley. When I got married, Tiffany, she gave me a new moniker, the hubby. And now that I am a father, I get to hear Hattie call me dad. Or when she's feeling particularly affectionate, she'll call me daddy. And Gertie right now just calls me blah. But pretty soon that's going to become dad. You see, I go by a lot of different names. Just as I'm guessing many of you do as well. Those different names highlight various aspects of my personality and who I am and the various roles that I'm called to play. Not only that, but those names illustrate the various levels of relationship that I have with others. Uh, one of my closest friends who knows me really, really well, when he sees me, he calls me by the name Joshua. Hey, Joshua, what are you doing? Well, I'm going to guess that if you don't know me very well, you're probably not going to come and say, Hey, Joshua. No, you're probably just going to stick with, hey, Josh. Names matter, don't they? They are really the beginning point in any relationship. If I'm meeting you for the very first time, I'm going to say, hi, I'm Josh. What's your name? 
If you don't know a person's name, it's, it's kind of really hard to get going in that relationship, isn't it? You're not going to get very far. Well, let me ask you this evening, do you know the name of God? Do you know God's name? The psalmist says in our opening text in Psalm 9 and in verse 10 that those who know God's name, they put their trust in Him. Is that you? Do you know God's name? Now, biblically speaking, to know the name of God means to know all about God. It means to know His character and His nature and who He is and what He's really about. Knowing God's name represents knowing the whole person of God. And I believe that one of the very best ways that we can come to know God more fully is by just taking a look at some of those wonderful names of the Lord. And this evening, that's what I'd like to do for just a few moments. Because just like you and I, God is not limited by a single name or title. God actually does wear many different names. I think each of those names illustrate a different aspect of His character. Each of those names provides for us insight into different sides of the Lord. Each of those names shows us things about God that help us to draw closer to Him and to better understand Him so that we can indeed do what our text says we can put our trust in Him. This evening I want to talk about just a few of the biblical names of God. Now certainly we can't talk about all of the names of God. One fellow actually went through and counted up 72 different names for God found in the Bible. Wow! If we tried to do that tonight, we will be here till a quarter past Thursday. We're not going to try to look at all the names of God. But I do want to talk about a few of the big ones and what those names can do to help improve not just our knowledge of God, but it'll help improve how we talk about God, how we talk to God, and it'll help us to know Him more fully and more accurately. Let's just begin by talking about a few of those, a few of those big names. Number one, what about when we call God, God? What about that? That is one of the ways that God is addressed in Scripture. In fact, if you're still here in Psalm chapter 9, just drop down a little bit. Look in verse 17. Same chapter, Psalm 9, 17. The wicked shall return to Sheol, all the nations that forget God. That is one of the most basic names, and in some ways it's, it's kind of almost more of a label or a description than it is an official name. The word for God in the Bible is actually just kind of a generic term that means or describes a divine being. And you see that used all throughout the Bible. In fact, that word God sometimes even is used for false gods. But here that term is just a generic a term, a generic name or designation given, given to God. Now, I certainly don't want to give the impression that the name God is somehow lame or cheap or unacceptable because even Jesus refers to God as God. Would you look in the New Testament with me? Look in Matthew 5. In Matthew 5, as part of the Beatitudes in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says in verse 8, in Matthew 5 and in verse 8, Jesus says, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Maybe just look across the page, chapter 6 and in verse 24. As Jesus talks there about no one can serve two masters, at the end of the verse He says, You cannot serve God 
and money. And so here we have at least just a couple of times where the Son calls God by that name. This is the basic name that most people learn whenever they are first introduced to just the very concept or the idea of God. And parents, this is probably where we begin our children, isn't it? This is where we begin to introduce them. The idea of God. Three letters, one syllable. It's easy to say, it's pretty easy to remember. Having said all of that, that is still kind of a vanilla sort of term. This would be like calling your best friend man or human or person. Hey, let me introduce you to my good friend person. That's just kind of weird and awkward. In the movie Big Jake, John Wayne's character has a dog and he names him Dog. That's not a lot of creative points there on that scale, but it is descriptive, isn't it? It's an apt description. But it seems to me that when we talk about God, there are some other names that are, that are richer in meaning, that would provide deeper insight into who God is, like, like this second one, like Lord. That is one of the most commonly used ways of addressing and talking about God. That term occurs over 300 times in the Old Testament. It is a term that can be translated master or owner or king or sometimes just sir. It can even refer to a human. This is not just a word that's limited to God alone. It's a word that actually can be used of human beings. Would you look since you're still here in Matthew? Look in Matthew 20. In Matthew chapter 20, as Jesus tells the parable of the laborers in the vineyard, in Matthew 20, he says here in verse 8, in Matthew 20 and verse 8, when evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman. Do you see that word owner in the ESV? The word Lord is how it's rendered in the King James Version, but that word, that term just simply means one who is in authority. That's what that word means. One who has the right to command. One who has the right to expect obedience. And it is no surprise then that that designation would be ascribed to God. Look at Matthew chapter 11. In Matthew chapter 11, as Jesus is praying, notice how he addresses God. In Matthew 11 and in verse 25, at that time Jesus declared, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth. Jesus here is acknowledging God's authority over all of creation. He calls Him Lord. And it should come as no surprise to us that later on in the New Testament, that term starts to be used for Jesus. Romans 10 verse 13, amongst other places, the Lord Jesus Christ. Now I'll say again, I do think that this is a powerful way of talking about God and even to talk to God. Because it reminds us that He's in authority. It reminds us of His rulership. His kingship, His dominion over everything and everyone, it causes us just naturally, I think, to have humility, doesn't it? I mean, you don't have to bow down on the ground to understand the authority of the Lord. Just think of the word Lord. That just brings you down, doesn't it? You just say the word and it recognizes, I'm down here, you're up there. I'm just merely a subject. However, this also is more of a descriptive title than it is a name. Which leads us then to look at this third name for God. And in fact, this is the name that God uses for Himself. Look with me now in Exodus chapter 3. 
In Exodus the third chapter, Moses meets God in the form of a burning bush. And God has a mission for Moses and that mission is to go and to tell the Egyptians that I have sent you to free my people. Moses then asks what I think is a very natural question in response. He says, hey, the Egyptians have all of these gods. They're going to want to know what's the name of my God and what am I going to tell them? Who should I say sent me? God's answer, Exodus 3 verse 14. God said to Moses, I am who I am. He said, say this to the people, I am has sent me to you. The I am. The I am, the one who has always existed and always will exist. That is the name that God tells Moses to go and tell. And it is, of course, kind of an awkward name for us, isn't it? It's kind of hard for us to even wrap our minds around that. It's not what we would expect from a name, I am. It's actually a verb. It is the verb form of to be. Can you imagine naming someone that? Can you imagine naming a child that? Normally when we give names, our names are, are nouns. There's not a lot of examples of people giving names that are, that are verbs. I mean, there's a lot of weird names that parents are naming their kids these days. I remember several years ago, Michael Jackson named one of his kids Blanket. How weird can you get? I mean, that's pretty weird. But even this name is kind of strange for us. The I Am. But it is a name that expresses the eternal nature of God. How He is the one who always is and always will be. He is eternal. Now, you and I may be more familiar with the more common rendering of this name, I am. We may be more familiar with the name Jehovah or Yahweh. But we might be wondering, well, how in the world do you get from I am to Yahweh or Jehovah? How in the world did that happen? And the answer to that is, is that if you were holding a Hebrew Bible in your lap right now, and you were looking at the Hebrew text of Exodus 3 verse 14, what would you be looking at is you would be looking at these four Hebrew characters that correspond to our English letters Y-H-W-H. Because the Hebrew originally was written without the vowels, just the consonants were written. And one of the difficulties with that name is, is we're not quite sure how to say or to pronounce that name in Exodus 3.14. Now, we've kind of added the vowels into it. We've anglicized it, Yahweh, Jehovah. We've added that in there, but no one is really 100% certain about the pronunciation of that. And that's because the Jews, they believe that the name of God was far too sacred for anyone to ever say with mere mortal lips. And so every time that that name appeared in the Scriptures, and usually when it did appear in Scripture, it looked a little bit different. You'll notice how that font kind of kind of is like in italics. If you were looking at the Dead Sea Scrolls, for example, you would see those four characters. They just always look a little bit different than all of the rest of the text. And that was kind of the scribe's way of alerting you, the reader, that, hey, be careful, slow down, you're approaching the name of God, so you want to be careful how you say that name, what you do with that name. You don't want to be guilty of blaspheme. You wouldn't even want to like, you know, stutter or cough or hiccup while you were saying the name of God. They feared that that was wrong. And so instead what they'd say is they'd just say, Lord, Lord. 
And in our English Bibles, you will find that name, Lord, and you'll notice it's in all caps, L-O-R-D, all big letters. You'll find that name more than 7,000 times in the pages of Scripture. In fact, if you're still there in Exodus chapter 3, just look at the very next verse, verse 15. Verse 15, God also said to Moses, Say this to the people of Israel, The Lord, all caps, the Lord, the God of your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, has sent me to you. And so every time you see that word, Lord, in all capital letters like that in your Bible, what you're looking at is you're looking at the personal name of God. That is the I am. Now having said all that, I do think that it is difficult for us to get entirely comfortable with that name. You know, there's all this uncertainty about how do you actually say that name? You know, there's the awkwardness of trying to incorporate the I am into even into kind of a coherent sentence. And it's just kind of mysterious in a lot of ways, just to be honest with you. And I think all of that makes us uncomfortable. But it shouldn't. It's the name that God uses for Himself. It is the name that reminds us of His eternal nature. It's not I was. It's not I will be. It's I am. It talks to us and speaks to us about how He is constant. Think about that. We've been living in a time the last several months where there's been so many things that are in flux, so many things that are uncertain. But this, this is absolutely certain. This is the one thing that you can absolutely count on every single time. We need to think more about God as the I am. Now, these three are probably the most common names for God that we know of in the Bible. What I'd like to do now for the last couple of minutes is I'd like to actually press forward a little bit more with a few of the less common names for God. Names, though, that I think are a little bit more functional for us. Names that we can, I can grab onto and maybe we can use in a more practical kind of way. Names that are a little more helpful and meaningful. For example, do you know God by this name? Do you know God as God Almighty? The Hebrew term is El Shaddai. Look with me in Genesis, please, since we're back here toward the beginning of our Bibles. In Genesis chapter 17, here's the very first use of that name in Scripture. As God is giving all of these great and abundant promises to Abraham, He says to him in Genesis chapter 17 and in verse 1, in Genesis 17 verse 1, when Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him and said to him, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless. I don't know if your Bible has it, but my Bible actually has a footnote at the bottom of the page that lets me know this is the name El Shaddai. Look again in Genesis. In Genesis chapter 35, this is a similar appearance. God is blessing Jacob and He says to him in Genesis chapter 35 and in verse 11, Genesis 35 and verse 11, God said to him, I am God Almighty. Be fruitful and multiply. This term is just used repeatedly in your Old Testament, especially in the book of Job. But what I probably find most interesting is just how often this name is employed and used in the book of Revelation. Would you find Revelation chapter 1? In Revelation chapter 1 and in verse 8, this is a verse that many of us are probably kind of familiar with the first half of the verse. But I want to notice the last half of the verse too. In Revelation 1 and in verse 8, the Lord says there, I am the Alpha 
and the Omega. That's probably ones that we can add to the list for next time when we talk about other names for God. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. And that is not the only time that that name occurs in Revelation. Look, for example, just maybe flip the page to chapter 4. In chapter 4, in this marvelous picture of heaven, in verse 8, Revelation 4 and verse 8, these four living creatures, what are they singing? What are they shouting? Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. Now, the reason that the usage of it so much in the book of Revelation, the reason that, that catches my eye is because Revelation was written to who? Revelation was written to Christians in the first century who were being persecuted. Christians who were being pushed by the oppressive thumb through the brunt and the force of the Roman government. The Caesar was throwing his weight around. He was attempting to stomp out Christianity. And so again and again and again, God has John write these things to these Christians to remind them that that emperor and all these big bad Romans and this big giant empire that they have, they are not all powerful. In fact, there is one and only one who is almighty. In fact, just look at the word itself and you get a pretty good idea of exactly what it means. All might. All power. John writes here to Christians to say that, that's our God. He is almighty. He is the one who can do anything. He can make anything. He measures the oceans with the hollow of His hand. He stretches out the heavens like a curtain. All the nations of the earth are like a drop in the bucket to this God. His power is far beyond what any mortal or even any collection of mortals could ever hope to attain. Our God is strong and powerful and awesome. He is the Almighty. What a tremendous reminder for those people who were living in those times. And what a tremendous reminder that is for us today. You know, how many times have you heard people talk about the Almighty Dollar? heard that phrase before, haven't you? The almighty dollar. What's that mean? Well, evidently what it means is it means that money is what makes the world go round. And you know what? In a world that worships money and is all about getting money and having money and saving money and spending money and flaunting money, it's really easy for us to buy into this thinking that, yeah, that, that really is where the power lies. It's easy for us to convince ourselves that, well, he who has the biggest bank account is obviously the one who has the most power, has the most influence, and just has their way. But you know what the Bible's reminding us just with this name of God? It's reminding us that that's not so. There's no human, there's no group of humans, there's no thing that will ever make and will ever be almighty. And that's why this name of God, I think, is so important for us and that's why it needs to be on our lips. Because when we talk about God Almighty, what we're doing is we're acknowledging, just in that word, we're acknowledging His power and His strength and His greatness. We're telling others, God has the power. Not human government, not that man, not that person over there, not money, not anything else. In fact, we're reminding ourselves that God has all the might. He is Almighty. And that is why, just practically speaking now, whenever I'm sick, 
whenever there maybe is some unsettledness and uncertainty with my job, when there maybe are problems in my family and I just don't think that it's possible for those to get rectified and get better, whenever there maybe is turmoil happening over in foreign lands and that makes us unsettled, maybe when there's just civil unrest right here on this soil, Maybe when the leaders of our own nation seem to be getting a little bit too tyrannical, seem like they are getting a little bit more power than they should have. Maybe even just when I personally am struggling with some sin that just seems too hard to overcome. Whatever it is that's going on in the world or in my life that just seems too great for me to handle, too big for me to be able to fix, what I need to do is I need to cry out to the One who is bigger and greater and stronger. I need to cry out to the one who is powerful enough to handle my problems and your problems and everybody else's problems all at the same time. I need to cry out to the one for whom nothing is too hard. I need to cry out to God Almighty. You know, just thinking, you, you spend some time just thinking about Almighty God. Read passages like Isaiah the 40th chapter that describes the might of the Lord. And the more you think about it, the more it'll put you in your place, send chills down your spine a little bit. In fact, let, let me just say in connection with this, that this really is the kind of reminder that we need in order to build endurance in our lives and remain faithful to the Lord all the way to the very end. You know, so many people give up on Christianity... Because they think, they've convinced themselves that the devil and sin and temptation and the ways of the world, it's just too strong. It's too overwhelming. The devil is too powerful and I just can't overcome him. But you know what? If you really believe that, what you are saying in essence is, is you are saying that God is not almighty, but Satan is. I want you to listen to me very clearly. Satan does wield some power. I don't know exactly how much, but he does wield some power in this world. But he is not, I repeat, he is not almighty. Greater is he that is in you than he who is in the world, 1 John 4 verse 4 says. And when you spend some time dwelling upon the greatness of God and you come to understand that he alone is all-powerful, then that will help you to put the devil in his rightful place. Because El Shaddai has the power to squash the devil under his feet and to bring you and I home to glory. That is God Almighty. Which brings me to this fifth name for God. And it's found back in Genesis once again. Look in Genesis chapter 16. In Genesis chapter 16, you might remember here that this is Hagar. And she's being booted out of the house of Abraham and Sarah. And she is now wandering alone, seemingly, in the desert. She maybe is even about to die. But God takes notice of her. And in fact, He saves her. And so we're told in Genesis chapter 16 and in verse 13, So she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her, You are a God of seeing. For she said, Truly here I have seen Him who looks after me. The name here is the one who sees. It's from the Hebrew term El Roy. And not El Roy like on the Jetsons, no. El Roy, E-L-R-O-I. And what this tells us in Genesis chapter 16 is that Hagar really was just kind of blown away by a God who would intervene in her life. 
by a God who would actually look down from heaven and see her personally and individually. And in her distress, He would help her. And so she then calls the Lord the God who sees. He noticed me. Now I remember as a child singing that song, there's an all-seeing eye watching you. And I've told you before, that song has always creeped me out. Growing up at Providence in a little, little kind of a country church and all these old ladies, they'd get to that chorus and they'd start singing, watching you, watching you. It just creeped me out. Picturing that in my mind, God, some big cosmic eyeball from the sky, just watching me all day long, every day. Man, that's kind of weird. Especially the thought that God's watching me when I do bad things. He's watching me all the time even when I do sinful things. But you know what? The thought of God being all-seeing, it didn't bother Hagar. No, she rejoiced that God saw her and knew her and cared about her. Have you ever felt alone? Have you ever at any point felt like no one seems to understand the burdens that you have to bear? Have you maybe ever felt like everybody else is just, well, they're just kind of busy with their own lives and they've got their own problems and, well, just nobody really has time for my pain and my struggles? Well, if you ever feel that way, and all of us feel that way at some point or another, we need to take heart because this name of God tells us that God sees. God knows all about your struggles. God is there even when nobody else is. He does have that all-seeing eye. And yes, that does mean that He sees us when we sin and that disappoints Him. But it also means that He sees us when we hurt and when we're having a tough time and that hurts Him as well. And that is the flavor of this name, El Roy, that we serve a God who sees us in our distress in order that He may show us compassion and give us comfort and to work on our behalf. What a beautiful name to remember about and to call out for God, the one who sees. When I'm discouraged or when I'm suffering, that's who I want to call out to. How about this last one? How about one more name that God wears in Scripture, a name that is very special and very unique to Him and Him alone, and that is this name, the everlasting. Everlasting God. In Hebrew, that is El Olam. And if you're still in Genesis, just flip over a few pages to chapter 21. In Genesis chapter 21, this is verse 33. In Genesis 21 and in verse 33, we're told about Abraham here, how he planted a tamarisk tree in Beersheba. And he called there on the name of the Lord, that's the I Am, notice this, the everlasting God. Now this name is actually very close to that other name that is often translated in the Old Testament, the living God. But here it's translated the everlasting God. The God of eternity or the God who is alive. And I love this name. Because it really just directly confronts and contradicts something that our society is trying to say all of the time. Our society in every way that it possibly can wants to tell us that God is dead. To many people, God has just disappeared from their lives and they don't seem to really even miss Him at all. People want to act like God is just powerless, you know, when natural disasters happen or other terrible events happen in our world. What do people say? Where's your God now? If He really cared, if He really was there, He'd be doing something about that. 
People want to act like God doesn't see those things or God doesn't care about those things. They want to just act as if God isn't there. But El Olam, it says otherwise, doesn't it? You know, we sing that wonderful song, Our God, He is Alive. And that powerfully affirms that God's sovereignty and His power, those things, they transcend time. God is not confined to our understanding of time. Our God is everlasting. He will never go away. He will always be reliable. You know, we sometimes use expressions when we talk to people that we care about. We say things like, I love you and I'm going to love you until the mountains wear down or until the river runs dry. But the truth of the matter is, Mountains do eventually wear down. And rivers do eventually run dry. We live in a world of just constant change. And that can be troubling, that can be unsettling for us, but how reassuring is it to know that there is someone who never changes. Someone who can never be pushed or moved. Someone who never dries up or wears away. That is the everlasting God. Would you look in Isaiah 40 with me? I I quoted a little bit earlier from this. In Isaiah 40, this will be the final passage this evening. I, I paraphrased a little bit from this earlier. As Isaiah is trying to articulate to the people of God back then about the awesomeness of the God that we serve. And look at his concluding statements in Isaiah 40, beginning in verse 28. In Isaiah 40 and verse 28, Isaiah says, Have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. Look, there's like three of the names of God right there in one sentence. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint. And to him who has no might, he increases strength. Even youths shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted. But those who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. This, this is the living God. He is the one constant in our ever-changing universe. Even amidst all the turbulence and all the various storms of life, He is the anchor that we reach out and we grab a hold of. He is indeed from everlasting to everlasting. He is our God. Now, as we close, let me just kind of finish with just a final word of what I hope will be kind of practical application as we think about all of these names. Because of all of the places that we can implement some of these names, whether that might be in our just daily conversation with others, or certainly that would be in the hymns that we sing, and of course the encouragement that we get when we think about those names in our songs, can I challenge you and to maybe start doing this right away, to make specific use of these names when you pray? You know, how can I approach God and entreat Him in such a way that acknowledges Him as almighty and all-powerful? How can I maybe address God in such a way that recognizes and tells Him that, Lord, I know You are all-seeing. How can I speak to God in such a way that reverences Him for being all-constant? Now that I have maybe a little bit stronger and better understanding of these names and what they mean, 
How can I talk to God in such a way that draws me in to closer relationship and fellowship with Him? Please do not misunderstand me. I'm not asking any of our men next Sunday when it's time for the opening prayer to get up here and begin their prayer with El Shaddai. Don't do that. We don't speak Hebrew. It's probably going to cause a lot of confusion if you do that. That's not what I'm saying. And I'm not trying to say that there's something magical about these names. That if you just encant all the right words and all the right combinations, then voila, amazing things are going to happen. That's that's not it at all. What I am saying, though, is that God has given us these expressive names and titles all throughout His Word. Why? So that we can know Him better. I go back to that opening passage. As that text affirmed for us, when we know His name, then we can truly put our trust in Him. Can we pray about that? Would you pray with me, please? Let's go to God in prayer. Our dear gracious God... God, we come before you acknowledging you as the only true God. And we do reverence and acknowledge you as our Lord. We are so thankful, Lord, for just how much of your character and and your nature that you have chosen to reveal to us in your word. Thank you so much for making it possible for us to know you and to know how great you truly are. It is because of that that we praise you for being almighty and all-knowing and all-seeing and everlasting. Help us, Lord, to come to know you better each and every day so that we can trust you more fully and love you more deeply. We thank you for all that you do and all that you are. And we offer this prayer through the name of your Son, Jesus. And amen.